0: Hey, good morning. Welcome to Mornings with Mac. Uh, We're in a unique series right now in that we're looking at each day one of the seven last words of Christ from the cross. And today, yesterday was forgiveness. Today is salvation. We're gonna be right there in Luke chapter 23 again. So if you've got a copy of God's word, I hope you'll uh, get that. I hope you've got something to take uh, notes with. Um, I just pick up any little journal, notebook that I can get, and I, I just, when I sit down to do a morning devotion, I'll just jot ideas. I just write down things that just come to me as I work through a through a text, and I can always go back and make reference. I think it was um, I think it was Whitfield that said the dullest pencil is better than the sharpest mind boy, that's certainly true. So if you've got your copy of God's word, you're ready to go. Let's look at the text. And I have to take you back. If you're there in Luke 23, put your finger there. Go with me back to Isaiah 53, where the prophet is speaking of the suffering servant. It is one of the clearest passages you'll come across in all the Old Testament that deal with the Messiah, that deals with Christ and what Christ is going to experience. I want you to read something because it gives the context. It's the Old Testament prophecy of what was going to happen to Jesus and what would specifically happen to Jesus on the cross. Listen to this. Isaiah 53, verse 12, Therefore I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the booty with the strong, because he poured out himself to death, And was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. There We read that yesterday. He prayed for those who were crucifying him. But right here in this verse, you read that he was numbered with the transgressors. Now, back to Luke chapter uh, 23. And uh, you're going to need to pick it up in verse 33. Well, really, verse 32, two others also who were criminals were being led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. Uh, it's interesting to me, and that's the first thing that I kind of noted in my notes as I was journaling, is it's interesting to me that they would crucify Jesus in the middle of these two criminals. These are two criminals. Uh, You get the sense that they probably were tried together. You get the sense that these two guys knew each other. They probably were partners in crime. And um, you would have thought, well, they would have crucified the two of them over here and Jesus over here, but they don't. They crucified Jesus in between the two. Which is interesting to me because it's exactly what happens with Christ. He divides humanity, he divides life, he divides history. Uh, he will divide all of eternity. Christ is is crucified in between these two men. Now they both get an equal shot at Christ. They both get to hear what's going on. They both get to see uh, what was written and was hung over uh the head of Christ, the the crowned, um, the thorn crowned head of Christ. Uh above that hung a sign that Pilate had written, uh, King of the Jews. The the Jews uh were unhappy, the rulers, the religious leaders were unhappy with that. They told him, Don't, don't say that. Don't write that. Uh, but say he said, I was king of the Jews. And Pilate said, What I've written is written. Well, they both could see. They both could experience. Now, you remember yesterday I told you that the verb tense uh, of, of Jesus' prayer, Father, forgive them, uh, gives us the insight that this was repeated, that Jesus prayed this and he prayed this, Father, forgive them. Now, that had to be stunning. It had to be stunning. It's stunning to me. It's stunning to you. But can you imagine to a thief in the midst of an execution, seeing another guy being executed, and he's praying for the guys that are executing him. Uh, These thieves hear Jesus pray uh, for these Roman soldiers who are nailing him to a cross. Father, forgive them. Now, here again, I answered yesterday, What good did that prayer do? What was that prayer for? And I shared with you a couple of things. Here's another thing that it did. It obviously caught the attention of these two thieves. It obviously caught the attention of this one thief who thought to himself, this guy is not a normal guy. This guy is unusual. This guy is doing something that no man would normally do, and that is praying for these people who were killing him praying for these people who are mocking him laughing at him abusing him ridiculing him and in fact if you're there look on over in chapter 23 of Luke to verse 39 one of the criminals who hanged there uh, who were hanged there was hurling abuse at him himself one of these guys he was abusing him he hears the crowd abusing he joins in on the abuse and then he wants to use Jesus as some people do. Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. Save yourself, not interested in you, but save yourself so you can save us. Get us off of this cross. Get us out of this situation. Well, that brings us to the point of the thief. What you've got is you've got the thief and you've got the Savior. Um, Pretty good title right there, the thief and the Savior. Just look at, at, uh, at this. And listen to this thief who uh, is hanging there on uh, one side of Christ. The other answered and rebuking him said, do you not even fear God? He says, even in this moment, don't you have a fear of God? You're dying. You're being tortured. Uh, You're going to be leaving this world. Don't you have a fear of God? And I want you to know what happens. Watch it what happens in this you're going to see this thief do a couple of things. Do you not even fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? You're you're being put to death just like he's being put to death. Now watch, here's the first thing from this thief, his confession. He makes a confession. Verse 41, we indeed are suffering justly. He's saying, listen, what we're getting, we deserve. We're guilty, we've done this. He's implying here that Jesus is not guilty. He's implying here that Jesus is sinless. He's implying here that Jesus is there and uh, he's done nothing wrong. We indeed are suffering justly for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. He's done nothing wrong. Now I'm gonna read a verse to you out of Romans chapter three. There's an interesting little statement over there. Romans chapter three, Verse 19, Paul writes and he says, we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those of us who are under the law. Now that is the law speaks to me, speaks to you, those of us that are under the law so that every mouth may be closed closed, and all the world may become accountable to God. That's an interesting statement. He says that every mouth may be closed. The law condemns us. Regardless of what you say about yourself, how you justify your sin, how you rationalize uh, what you have done, the law says you're guilty, you're guilty. That's it, period. Talk all you want, but you're guilty. That's what this guy is saying. This thief is saying, indeed we suffer justly and we're receiving what we deserve for our deeds. This man has done nothing wrong. He is confessing his sin. Now, let me me just say something to you. I'm a full believer that we have to repent in order to have salvation. That is not a work. Repentance is I am sorry for what I've done. Repentance is a recognition I can't save myself. I I grieve because of what I've done. I, I not only grieve, but I confess And what I'm confessing is this. I'm confessing that God is right in his word about what it says concerning me. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So he repents. There's his confession. That's interesting. Now watch this. Here is the courage of conviction. Look at what he does next. And he was saying, present tense, he's saying this and saying this and saying this, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Um, Jesus, as you know, is the Old Testament noun Joshua. And Joshua means Jehovah saves. Jesus means salvation. It means uh, He saves. He's calling out on Jesus, who is the only one who can save Him. Uh, he's the only one there that can save. He doesn't call out on the Romans. The Romans can't save Him. The Romans could care less. He doesn't cry out. Uh, To anybody else that's there. He doesn't cry to the religious leaders. He doesn't, he doesn't cry out to the, to the crowds. In fact, here's the interesting thing. The Romans are laughing at Christ. The religious leaders are mocking Christ. The crowd is jeering at Christ. His own partner in crime has joined in the abuse and wants to use Jesus for his own personal good. But this guy has the courage to call him who he is, Savior, Jesus. And he calls out on him um, in spite of what's going on around him, in spite of the fact that he's going to be jeered by the crowd too, in spite of the fact people are going to look at him and say, what are you saying? how crazy can you be? This man's dying. He can't save himself. How's he going to save you? And yet this guy has the courage of conviction to call on Jesus and say, I don't care what the rest of the crowd says. I don't care what the rest of the crowd does. Let me ask you, how about you today? Have you put off a decision for Jesus Christ because you're concerned about other people and what they'll say about you if you put your faith and your trust in Christ? Well, let me give you the third thing, and the third thing is this. Look at his confidence. Look at the confidence. He says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, he was in a position where he could see that plaque above the head of Christ that Pilate had written, "King." of the Jews. If he's a king, he's got a kingdom. And so he says, Jesus, he knows his name, savior, Jesus. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. If you're a king, you have a kingdom. Just remember me. Now that's the confidence he has. He just has confidence that Jesus is a king and uh, he's going to put his faith and his trust in that. Now, that's amazing to me. Christ was not working miracles. He was not feeding the 5,000. He was not raising Jairus' daughter from the dead. He was not, doing, he was not healing blind Bartimaeus. He was, not, uh, he was not doing all of the miracles that he had done. He was not even teaching. This guy had none of that. This guy was not part of the crowd that we know of uh, that heard uh, the Sermon on the Mount. He didn't hear the teaching of Christ. He didn't see the miracles of Christ. He just simply put his faith and his trust in the fact this guy was praying for those that were crucifying him, praying for their forgiveness, for the Father to forgive them. His name means salvation. He's king of the Jews. He's going into a kingdom. I'm just going to put my, with that limited little bit of knowledge. You see, it is not what you know. He didn't have a degree in theology. Nobody had taught him systematic theology. Nobody sat down with him and gave him the explanation of why there is evil in the world, uh, why he was having to suffer what he was suffering. He knew why he was suffering. He was suffering for his own sin, Uh, and he knew that wasn't going to save him. I'm amazed at the number of people who say, Oh, well, I've got to hear more, and I've got to have more. We've got to have a little deeper insight. We've got to have... Uh, more information about Christ. We've got to we've got to understand this and understand that, and we all these things. Listen, this guy had none of that, but he had a confidence that Jesus Christ was Savior, and he wanted that salvation. The same can be true with you. Let me tell you something. You will never, through your mental acumen, figure out enough. You must accept him by faith. Now watch. Here's the Savior's response. And uh, I need to give you this. I'm going a little long. Here he comes in verse 43. And he said to him, he, here's an interesting statement. He gives him this certainty up front. Truly. Uh, in the Greek, it is literally the little word amen. Uh, it's our word amen. This is a truth. This is true. If you're from South Carolina like me, we translate that. Show enough. Truly. Amen. Show enough. Listen to what he does. There's the certainty of it. Uh, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Um, Acts chapter 2 verse 21. Whoever, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Here's the truth. Here's the certainty. Now watch this. Here it is personally. Soy lego. To you, I say, personally, to you. He was looking at this guy. Salvation is personal. It is a personal work of God in your life. Jesus Christ came to save you personally. He didn't lump us all in a group out here and say, Well, I'll give a dispensation to all of these that are over here. No, he comes to you and he saves you personally, and then look at this—it's present. Here, here's the present situation today. You shall be with me in paradise, not after a thousand years of limbo, not after soul sleep, uh, not after any of those things that you know we we think about. What happens? Well, you just lie in the grave and you're asleep for. All this time, I want you to listen to what Paul said in in Philippians. Philippians chapter 1, for to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. He says, I'm hard pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is much better. Did you hear what he said? To depart and be with Christ. When a believer dies, you go immediately into the presence of Christ. You've lost a loved one. You've got somebody that you loved, you cared about very deeply. This week we're being told is going to be horrific in America because of death. Most Americans will be touched by this in some kind of way. Let me tell you something. For those who die in Christ, they go to be immediately with Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8, Paul says this, to be absent from the body, present with the Lord. Nope to be absent from the body, to be at home with the Lord. When I'm home, I'm home. When that believer dies, he walks into his eternal home. You know what you do when you're away and you come back home? You walk in and you just go, it's good to be home. You don't have to adjust to getting home, Uh, you're home. Now all of this was by grace every minute it is, was the grace of God in Jesus Christ. This man called out on Jesus because you see, there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we may be saved. No other name would do but Jesus. You remember the old hymn? The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day and there may I Though vile as he, wash all my sins away. It's the word of salvation.